and welcome to 2019 and welcome to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. We brought to you every week by our sponsors. PrecisionHydration.com offer electrolyte drinks in different strengths to match how you sweat. Personalize your hydration strategy today at PrecisionHydration.com and get a free box or tube of pH worth up to $9.99 using the code OxygenAddict. We are also brought to you by FueledByCake.com. Helen's charity cake recipe book with dozens of delicious cake recipes perfect for home cooking, your own healthy snacks for your bike rides. Recipes from Chrissy Wellington, Emma Pooley, my nan and many more. You can get yours at fueledbycake.com for just £10. And teamoxygenaddict.com triathlon coaching. Helping hundreds of age group triathletes see huge improvements in their 70.3 and Ironman performances. Our time training system will make sure that you get the important training done each week in a way that complements the rest of your life, even if you work long, stressful hours or have a hectic and predictable family life. And guys, we are opening the team up from Tuesday, the 8th of January. So pretty much now. So get on to teamoxygenatic.com and check it out if you're interested. <laughs> Happy New Year, Rob. Happy New Year, Hells. How are you, my friend? Yeah, I'm good. Made it. We made it. I cannot believe it's 2019. We made it to another year and that in itself is something to be celebrated. <laughs> Honestly, it's crazy. It's crazy, crazy. Um, any any excitement? What what have we missed over the past couple of weeks? In in the Wilby household or in the world in general? <laughs> well, I think most people might know what goes on in the world in general, but maybe. So go with what's been happening chez toi. Do you know, not much health. It's been a really nice, chilled out family type Christmas. Has been. I've I managed to schedule some downtime this year and actually stick to it. You know, usually you go, I've got loads of time to see everyone I've ever met, to go out to 47 places. I've done none of that this year. I've just had some early nights. I've chilled out, seen a little bit of family, seen a little bit of friends, but it's all been... It's all been very nice, actually. Lots of playing with uh, playing with the lad with his new toys and all of that. So, so it was good. A bit of exercise every day as well. So it's uh, yeah, it's been Perfect. great. I've Perfect. No did you make it? What time did you make it to on uh, New Year's Eve, Rob? Half past midnight, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> made it. How about you? Half nine. Oh, superb! I salute you. <laughs> I just. I did it under sufferance. I was like, oh, I know I've got to do it. I've got to get there. I just really want to go to bed. Yep. I think I was in bed by about nine o'clock. Um, we had been busy decorating and I was I was shattered. Done, yep. Well, good for done. you for getting like... what you need. You've got to reward yourself at that time of year, haven't you? <laughs> totally. Bed. <laughs> <laughs> I was at a board games party. It was ace. We played loads of different board games. I really enjoyed it, actually. Oh, one game we did play, Monopoly, but a card version. Right. It exists. It's brilliant. It's really good. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, do. It doesn't doesn't necessarily last. You know how Monopoly can sometimes last, I mean, literally days. Yeah. Yeah, you can can get through this one in a lot less than a day. Good. I mean, a lot less. All right, well, listen, let's kick off the show today. First up, Hells, I want to give a thanks to people who've left a review of the show on iTunes. Um, if you remember, we had that competition running and it's still going to go to the end of January. For anyone that reviews the show on iTunes and posts a screenshot of their review in the thread in the Oxygen Addict Triathlon community group, you're going to get entered into a prize draw to win a copy of the new Cervelo storybook. It's called To Make Athletes Faster by Anna DiPiccio. 
Um, if you're not already a member of that group, get onto Facebook and join it. And then, yeah, if you can leave us a review, ideally a five-star review, that would be lovely. We love those five-star reviews, don't we, Hells? Clearly. <laughs> Clearly <laughs> I like five-star reviews. Don't, you don't really care about until you realise that iTunes ranks you in the podcast things according to how many reviews you've got. And if you haven't got very many like we haven't got, you don't kind of appear. It's a bit like being on page seven of Google at the minute. So the more of them we get, the higher we appear, the more downloads we get, the bigger names we can get on the show. It'd be awesome. Exactly. So, so if you can go over there, that'd be amazing. We had one over Christmas from a lady called Laura who said, and bless her, she said, love these guys, straight talking, knowledgeable and funny. They managed to get great guests and Hells is a genius at getting snippets out of them. So how about that, Hells? You're a genius. It's official. Thanks, Laura. She says, thanks to them, I joined Team OA and it's no understatement to say it changed my life. How nice is that? Yeah, that's nice. That's really cool. So we've got 116 five-star reviews at this point. And my big shout out to our listeners is, can you help us get us to 200 five-star reviews by the end of January? Please, please, pretty please. Just log into iTunes and leave us a review. That would be awesome. Well, we did hear from uh, Lindsay Beale got in touch with us over Christmas saying uh, she's listening to the podcast. And that Rob, you said that hope you're listening whilst running or riding uh, made a smile because um, she sent us photos of palm trees. Oh, no. Palm trees and sunbathing, basically. So she was obviously listening to us um, whilst sunbathing. Um, and then uh, someone else had got in touch as well, saying that they had um, they had done what we said, which was hit enter. Yeah, on what? Yeah. Uh, Did they tell us on what? I hovered over the enter button, but went for it. Entered uh, L2M Ultra. So that's Ooh. the... Liverpool to Manchester, isn't it? Ultra, but this year apparently. To say goodbye to, isn't it? Yeah, this year apparently it's Manchester to Liverpool, um, and uh, he says, yeah, it's a bit of a step up. That's Scouse Tim's on Twitter. It's a good old journey, that isn't it? Must pass in my road. Actually, it's only about hundred yards away from where I live now. Yeah, I have to get out and cheer them on this year. Get out, cheer them on. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's have a look around the world then, according to there's not been any races gone on over the last week because obviously it's been Christmas week. But we have got a little bit of triathlon news, which is brought to you by our friends over at PrecisionHydration.com. So just to remind any listeners who are in or around the northwest, they're going to be doing one of their hydration workshops in Chester at Pro Physio in Chester on January the 26th at 5 p.m. There's going to be discounted sweat testing available between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. in the same place that day. So there's a link in the show notes if you want to book yourself in. You've just got to click a link and book a slot. It's completely painless. And if, like me, you suffer from being a particularly salty sweater or a particularly heavy sweater, or if you've had lots of problems with cramp or problems with racing in the heat, it's a really good idea to go and see these guys. I recommend going to see them anyway just because did put a great show on and it's a really interesting talk so if you're anywhere nearby get down and watch it but if you are struggling with sweating issues then you can't do better than the old precision hydration sachets check it out over at precisionhydration.com and remember you can get 9.99's worth of free ph using the code oxygen addict as well kick your kick your new year turbo sessions off with a bit of that hells everyone a lot of i have seen a lot of messages about people who have now got you know new gadgets and new smart turbos and i don't know yeah. swift memberships and father christmas was very kind to them etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know every, everyone seems to have a, a new gadget to play with yeah so you, that's think... not meant to sound a dodgy at all in any way <laughs> say again 
It's not going to sound dodgy in any way. No. I think people get new electronics and it's it's exciting, isn't it, to spend four or 500 quid on a power meter or a new turbo and it isn't exciting or sexy to buy yourself electrolyte salts. But it's one of those things, you know, you see those things in magazines about how much you spend per watt saved with an aero helmet or a new frame or new wheels. I reckon the cost spent on getting your electrolytes right is probably the biggest performance improver per pound spend than anything you can spend it on because it's so cheap to put right a situation that costs almost nothing to rectify if you've got the electrolyte salts with you if you haven't got them and your calves lock up halfway up a mountain you're in misery and it's game over and none of the gadgets in the world can help you no 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 aero helmet's going to help you if you're <laughs> if you've got cramp yeah you said it Right, so around the world then, what have we noticed been going on in Triathlon News World? Well, first thing, have you, I haven't seen it yet, Hells, but have you watched this new Tim Don movie, the sequel? No, I, I, I pretty much missed this, to be honest, because I enjoyed um, watching um, Man with the Halo. That was excellent. Um, and now there's, the, the story finishes, doesn't it? Or the story continues. The story continues, yeah. And it's ironic that we, we just put out a replay of our original interview with tim that came out just when the original version of that movie came out the man with the halo put that out again last week during our sort of christmas end of year break and as that goes out there's a there's the updated news that there's a second version of it coming out so i haven't even had chance to see this yet but it follows his story all the way to kona i wonder whether they'll do a i wonder whether they'll do a final edit to make one great big movie out of it hells yeah maybe actually Yeah, maybe. I'm excited yeah. to see this anyway. It's on my winning winning gold in the in the Paralympics in Tokyo, maybe. Yeah, well, wouldn't just that saying. just be a, a, a as a guide full stop? Yeah, a full yeah. stop on the story, wouldn't it? That'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Just putting it out there. <laughs> no pressure, Tim. But hell says you've got a winner medal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, um, Tim Don is going to be part of the. He, he's he's on the. The sort of squad, isn't he, as a as a guide athlete for the British um, para triathlon squad. So you know the the hope is that he would obviously be able to uh, go on and qualify as a guide for the Paralympics in Tokyo in 2020. Yeah, that's hope that he does. I think it'd be really good to see him there again, wouldn't it? be really really good. And then uh, Rob, the other bit of news that we had around was um, over New Year's Day. When the uh, New Year's Honours list comes out um, every year, and this year there were a couple of triathletes on there who uh, definitely deserve a mention. Uh, first up, yeah. Helen Jenkins. Now she got given, is it an OBE? An M- MBE. MBE, yep, MBE for services to um, triathlon. Um, so that's, and she, I mean, yeah, she had a, a, a an amazing um, career, hasn't she? Yeah, two-time um, world champion, three-time Olympian. And I was so rooting for her at London when it came down to the the final five running through Hyde Park. I was so rooting for her after that year she'd had when she'd had all those injuries and she'd scraped her way into the team, hadn't she, effectively? Mm, yeah, no, it was, it, was, it, was, it was amazing to watch her. She was in pretty much during that race she was actually injured and then 2013 she was out for pretty much the whole season yeah. but then amazingly managed to get the third spot really for Rio and um, yeah just the way that she had qualified for Rio was pretty impressive yeah 
So MBE for her and a bit of news. Now, we had this lady on the show back in the early days. And I bet hardly anyone listening listened to it back then. But she's awesome, isn't she? Uh, yes. <laughs> Dr. Edwina Brocklesby. <laughs> yeah, who... Uh, who, who was also in the um, in the New Year's Honours list for services to the health and well-being of older people, um, and she got a, a British Empire Medal, so a BEM. Um, Eddie is just one of the most inspiring women you could ever meet, you could ever interview, you could ever read about. It's just incredible what she does, what she has done in her career, you know, even away from triathlon um, and what she continues to do to help um, to help other people. Um, she, you know, she founded a, a charity web called SilverFit that promotes um, happier, healthier aging um, for older people. Um, she, you know, she's done like Ironman recently. She continues to do so. She's in her 70s. She's just, yeah, amazing. I'm still doing Ironman at 74. I'll tell you what, you? That's, that's just incredible. Yeah. To be yeah. to be physically fit enough to be able to do that at 74 still, I think is just brilliant. Yeah, I know. It it, oh, it does make you think, wow, wow, mm. wow, wow. And when especially when you look at some other women in their early, mid, late 70s who probably couldn't do half of, you know, they wouldn't be able to do half of what Edwina does. Yeah. You said it. Well, congratulations to you two. Brilliant stuff. All right. So shall we jump forwards into Coach's Couch and talk a little bit of triathlon training? Yep, let's do that. So this week we are talking about the impact that structured bike training during winter, during this time, can have on improving your race time in the summer. Yeah, so it's it's a new year, Hells, and everyone's, you know, the chocolate's gone, the crisps have been thrown out and the trees come down. And so I realise we've talked a lot about you know, do this kind of structured bike training and you'll get this kind of percentage increase. And and, I, and I've pushed that idea a lot on people. But what I realized I hadn't ever said was, let's put some real term improvements onto your race time in terms of what those, you know, percentages of FTP are a little bit wafty and nebulous sometimes, aren't they? So it's easy for me to sit here and say, look, if you do 16 weeks of structured bike training during the winter, most people who do that come out of the winter with a 15 to 20% increase on the functional threshold power. But what does that actually mean in real terms? So what we've done is we've sat down with the best bike split package and we've run the numbers for somebody who is riding Ironman UK. And we've done, okay, let's say this person rides about 70% of FTP, which is, is about there or thereabouts for a lot of people doing an Ironman. If they did it with a an FTP of 200 watts, they'd go around the Ironman UK course in seven hours, 10. If they could do the same course at the same percentage of effort, but we've increased their FTP to 230 watts, which is like a 15% increase, they'd actually go around the Ironman UK course in 636, all things being equal. So that's a 34-minute improvement in their bike time over the Ironman, specifically over the Ironman UK course for the same athlete, simply by having an FTP that's increased by 15%. And I thought that was really amazing because, and, and I don't know why I've never really sat down and done it before. I guess it's having access to the best bike split program and being able to plug the numbers in and see how that actually affects you on a real time, real life course. But I think most people sitting there would give their right arm for 
to be off the bike 35 minutes faster in an Ironman on race day, right? Totally. And I can probably vouch for this one, Rob. If I think back to Ironman Austria, which would have been the first Ironman that I did in 2013, my bike split there with about 6.38. And okay, I would have just started over the winter, wouldn't I? Because um, you were obviously coaching me. So I would have started, but I still don't think I even got on the turbo. I don't know. I don't, I, honestly, I don't really think I had a turbo. So I don't think I did a whole load of structured cycling is what I'm trying to say mm. in the run up to Ironman Austria. Roll on a couple of years when I genuinely had sort of stuck to the um, structured bike and done them. And I think the next Ironman I did, I know it was three years later, but um, it was 6.16 on the Ironman UK course. So significantly faster on a much, much slower course as well, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So it's, I, I thought that was really interesting to to put those ideas out there to people and say, I mean, first thing is a lot of people might not even know that that, that software package best bike split exists, which lets you play with lots of different variables and, you know, it lets you change your power and lets you change your weight and see what effect different changing variables have. But I thought to say to people, if you can, you know, not even, not even that you have to find two one hour structured bike workouts a week. It might just be that you change what you do within the training that you're doing already by doing those two one hour structured bike sessions and making them really focused on exactly the element of fitness you want to improve. You can make a massive difference to a really long race time that might be taking place in six months time. And I think the thing that's surprising for a lot of people is it's not about having to go out and doing lots of long bike rides now to prepare for a long event in the future. You can kind of make the engine bigger now in much shorter periods of time that, are, you know, it's easier to find an hour here and an hour there than it is to find four or five or six hours on the weekend. But you can make that massive difference by affecting what some people would think is a completely different element of the fitness to still get that effect of a much faster race day, you know, when race day rolls around. Totally. We, um, I, I obviously take the um, spin session at Nuts of Tri Club and uh, we were back on the bikes last Wednesday, which is the day after New Year's Day, which felt very, very early nice. to be to be back. <laughs> um, but we had a full house pretty much apart from one bike and um, we definitely got bang for buck um, in terms of the set. We were inspired by uh, Lucy Gossage's uh, Zwift session. So um, we, did, we did that. Um, oh my goodness. Seriously, Rob, though you know short-term pain now long-term gain for sure yeah definitely and do you know it's it's worth sort of saying as well that the that the bike sessions that you do with the club and that are led by coaches at the club they're very different to in inverted commas a spin session that would happen at the gym because what you guys are doing is exactly this kind of structured at 100% of FTP bike workouts and I think that's a big thing that a lot of people listening can can make the difference by by doing those specific sessions rather than, I mean, you can remember the sort of spin sessions that you'll have seen at a gym in the olden days where the instructor had you doing press-ups on the bars and waving your hands in the air and all that stuff. That's very different to structured indoor bike training that's going to improve your 70.3 and Ironman, isn't it? <laughs> Correct. We don't, we don't do any waving about on the handlebars. <laughs> All right, listen, so Team Oxygen Addict is going to open for new members on Tuesday, the 8th of January, which, as we're recording, is tomorrow. So as you're listening to this, 
it might be it might be the very day we're open at 8 a.m so when you join We'll gather a load of information about your background and how much time you have to train and the races that you're targeting. And then from that, we can tailor a training plan to you to get you to your goal race in peak condition. And who knows, you might be still in time to get some of this structured bike training forced on you as well. The most important thing about it is that your plan is going to be achievable and it's based around the time that you have. So we've put guidance notes in every week of the plan so that if you need to move or shuffle sessions around, you'll know what you're doing. And I'm also available for advice in the Facebook group as well. So you can bounce those ideas off me. So we're open from 8am on the 8th of January. And the good news is we're keeping the 2018 prices in place until Friday, the 18th of January. Until then, you can get in for £635 for the whole year, which is the equivalent of £53 monthly. Or you can join and pay just on a monthly rolling membership at £75 a month. So joining for a year, you're going to save £365 compared to a monthly membership. After this point, the prices are increasing to the 2019 prices, which will be 797 for the year or 97 monthly. So if you want to get in, get in before that date, everybody. And hopefully we can help you have your best race ever at 70.3 or Ironman this year. Ace. Ace stuff hells. Um, Rob, I need to, what do I, oh yeah, I was going to tell you actually, um, worth knowing if you are, if you're listening to this, you're probably very much into your triathlon. Um, but if you have friends who you maybe have tried to talk into doing triathlon, not yet convinced, um, then tell them to go and check out Try January, um, which is a campaign um, which British triathlon are sort of leading and implementing and effectively trying to get people to uh, give triathlon give a, go. a go. Yeah, so you can um, sign up uh, to try January and you basically choose your team. So uh, you can sort of pledge to cover a distance of 15 kilometers if you join you, me and the Big C team or 25K if you join the Team Bushel. So Mike Bushel, the guy who does every kind of sport going on BBC Breakfast or Team Stedman, uh, which pledges to cover 50 kilometres. That's with Lauren Stedman, uh, who's a paratriathlete who we had on a couple of years ago and also did very, very well at Strictly Come Didn't Dancing. She, yeah. She did. So go and check it out. Try January um, to get involved with that or to get someone that you know. It might be a friendly way of getting them involved. Get them on it. And for those of you who are already into triathlon, we have got an absolute stonker of an interview for you this week. We've got an interview with Dan Plews, who broke the age group course record in Kona in 2018 with, uh, frankly, held with a pretty staggering time of 8 hours 24.36, where he finished off with a 2.50.56 marathon, which was the fifth fastest run overall on the day. Um, we've had Dan on before. We had him on about a year ago, but I managed to chase him down and get him back on again because I wanted to hear all about this amazing race in Kona. So here we go. Here's our interview of the week with Dan Plews. So it's great to have you back on the show, Dan. Thank you very much for agreeing to join us. Um, <laughs> first up, we've got to lead in by saying congratulations on the performance in Kona. I mean, it was it was absolutely mind-blowing to see that result come through. And regardless of what people say about the conditions, so the listeners know the actual splits, you went 8.24 overall to break the overall age group of record with splits of 54.47 on the swim. 232 on the bike and then a 250 56 marathon 
Yeah, 4.32. 4.32 would have been nice. Oh, was it 4.32? <laughs> Sorry, did I say 2.50? That's it's not so smooth. It's, it's early well, that, would been, that would have been fast. Maybe, <laughs> maybe one way I did that. <laughs> yeah. So so first up, like let's let's talk through that. We had you on less than a year ago where you'd obviously just come back from the back of a fantastic race at New Zealand. And did you did you expect that you were going to go anywhere near that kind of performance in Kona? That's the first thing to ask you. Um, not, no, no is the answer to that. I think um, I had, I had pipe dreams of breaking the the course record. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but I think, because if you look at Ironman New Zealand times and you look at Kona times, they're actually quite similar because Ironman New Zealand is not a particularly fast course. And I knew that, the current age course record at Kona was 8.37 held by Carl Buckingham. So I, um, so I thought, oh, you know, if I want 8.35 in Taupo and I have a good day and reasonable conditions, then, um, you know, then I could break it. But to what actually happened was we had an amazing day and I had an, and I and we had amazing conditions and I had a, an amazing day. So the two combined um, meant that the course record went by quite a quite a bit. So yeah, I never expected that. I never expect. I thought it would be like like a couple of minutes, not twelve minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the conditions that you raced in in the day, what was it? Do you think that made conditions so fast? Was it a combination of not not quite the crazy winds people have seen, or was it not as hot as usual, or a combination? Um, I think I think it was a bit of a combination. I would. I mean, people people reported that the run was still very hot. Um, lots of people said that the run was cooking still. I mean, um, and it seemed to be from what I remember was that it was almost like there was cloud cover from the airport to Harvey and then not then from the airport back to Kailua, it wasn't really, there wasn't really any cloud cover. So it was a, it was kind of, it was, the run was still quite open and pretty hot, but I think the main reason was the difference was on the bike because the, the wind was low. It was pretty cool. And I didn't, I don't really think, the wind was so low. I can't even remember the point where we had a headwind. I can't even remember a headwind on the day. But at the time, I was so focused on what I was doing, I wasn't even really thinking about it. And I didn't realize that it was a fast day until coming back through um, um, Waikoloa on the way home. And I was looking at my speedo. And because I was I was expecting, because we'd been so fast, I was just expecting it to really hit us through Waikoloa, which it can often do when you're coming back. It can really pick up through there. And then basically from Waikoloa, Back at the scenic drive, you just you just lose so much time. So um, yeah, sorry, scenic point, you can lose a lot of time because of the headwinds. But that didn't actually come. So as soon as we got, when I looked at my speedo and we were doing like forty four through Waikoloa with a tailwind, I was like, ooh, this is going to be a quick day. So um, yeah. <laughs> so let's let's go through the whole day bit by bit because obviously to win the overall age group race, um, there's a big gap between you and the pro women on race day. And yeah. so, yeah. so, so you're racing at the very pointy end of the field. And what I really wanted to get was a sense of whether you feel as though you're in a completely separate race, separate from, you know, and, and I know in, in a lot of sort of Ironman races, you at the very front end of the age group race end up completely mixed up with the pros almost right from the beginning, but this is kind yeah. of a different situation, isn't it? So how was your experience yeah. of, you know, the race well, itself I... all the way from the start yeah. of the swim? I mean, you said. I mean, the, in terms of the pro men, you then they're, they're like 30, 30 minutes in front, right? They're miles in front. I mean, I, I, I beat. I don't know what I beat quite a reasonable amount of the the pro men, but I didn't. Obviously, I didn't see any of them. Yeah. Um, I saw a few of them. I saw like the very, very back enders. 
but um, I didn't hardly, I didn't really see any. But I did see a lot of the pro women, and but I really was, I really was in company for pretty much the whole day, really, apart from on the run. Um, I came at the start of the bike. It was like kind of like crazy amount of people, and I was, it was everything you could do to not to try and be safe and try and be legal and try and not get caught up in the pack. So, um, but I kind of also knew, I also had a, I also had it felt that if I stuck with my power and I didn't go crazy at the start, that that group would dwindle down and, mm. and it did. So I averaged 200 259 Watts on the way out. And then on the way back, I averaged 261, but the difference was on the way out. I had about 50 other people around me and on the way back I had two. Yeah. Um, so, so you know, it was it wasn't the case that I sped up at all. I just kept the same power, and um, eventually people dwindled away. Um, but yeah, there was so there, there was that to do with. But there was also there was a splinter group who got off up the road. So I knew that we were in kind of there was a like the second age group pack, if you will, to one of a better word. And then there was another group of about seven, five or seven up the road. Um, and I saw where they were when we when we went round at Harvey, and I saw that there was a bit of a group up the road. And but knowing what happens in the last forty k, just stuck with my guns. And um, the last forty k, I think we we that we really closed, and then we didn't quite catch them, but we got within. You could you could they started to come back into view, and we could see them again. And by this time, there was me and two other two other guys who were kind of all together. Um, and then I got into the run. I think I got into the run in about seventh seventh place overall. Um, I had a bit of a malfunctioning transition because I got given the wrong um, the wrong shoe bag. Oh no, so, really? Yeah, yeah. And everyone knows. Anyone knows. You you run through the the tent, right? You run through the tent. You get your gear bag, and then you run through um, into the changing tent. So I was in the changing tent, ripped open the bag, and I'm like, "There, this isn't my stuff." So I had to go back out of the tent, run all the way back, find my actual trainers, and then run back again. <laughs> so I was. I lost a bit of time. I think I worked it out. I lost about a minute, a minute, probably a minute, minute, 15 seconds. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, got my, got my trainers on and then, um, and then I just set off on the hunt really. But I kind of, my, my aim of the whole day was to, um, back my running because I knew I was in, I knew I was in very good run shape. So I was kind of confident that, um, if I was in a sniff and I could run well, it would be, I could have a good day. So that's, um, and that's what I did. Like all, all my numbers in the lead up had pointed to me having a very fast run. So, yeah. well, let's dig into that a little bit because I, I've done a little bit of nosing around on the on the Times website beforehand. You, you ran, as I said, two fifty fifty six, which, I mean, full credit to you and a pat on the back. That's that's an absolutely mind blowingly <laughs> fast run. But it was the fourth fastest split of the day, wasn't it? So the only people who were yeah, faster than yeah, you were the, the three guys fastest, on the podium. Yeah. Yeah, fifth fastest actually, because Tim Burkle, who I coached, ran out around me by about thirty seconds. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm giving Thanks you credit for an extra place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. If anyone, if anyone was going to run faster than me, I assume it was him. <laughs> <laughs> It was about a good coaching. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Well done. Just just ease off to let him have the split in front of you. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Confidence building. Well, I mean, I'd, as I was looking at those splits. Obviously, you consider that a, a really, really good run split in an age group race is down near the three-hour barrier. And so to, for you to go sort of 10 or maybe even 15 minutes faster than the, the front end of the age group race is a really significant difference. So when, when you got onto the run, what was your experience like of the athletes around you? Did you 
did you sense you were running a lot faster than the people around you straight away? Or was it one of those things where everyone kind of runs the same pace for the first? Yeah, not, yeah, not really, because, I mean, out of transition, I, I lost a lot of time, right? So I was at the back. Yeah, and, because and of the shoe I, thing. And I kind of, sorry? Because of the shoe thing happening. Yeah, because of the shoe thing. So I and I kind of set off on my on my pace, and I was I was most mindful because of the adrenaline of losing my shoes and and everything. I was most mindful to not go out too hard. So I was really trying to pull myself back. I still ran the first K in the three forty five, which is a, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit too quick. I was like, oh dear, slow down, slow down. So um, but then I just kind of like, I don't know, I just kind of got into my my rhythm, and it was one of those days that I had I, I felt good at running. And as the moment my feet hit the ground, jumping off the bike, I, I knew I had, I felt pretty good on the run. I had good run legs and, and I was literally running on, on a leaky drive. I was falling over myself, trying to slow myself down and I kept running under four minute Ks. So you, when that kind of happens, you know, you're in a, you're in a good space and I'm like, slow down, slow down. This is stupid. Slow down. And, um, yeah. And then, it, um, yeah, and that was pretty much it. Even, even coming back along the queen K so I don't know if anyone knows the course, there's a kind of a, a, a gradual downhill before you go that gradual rise up to the top of Polani, then you come down Polani to the finish. So before I hit Polani, the gradual rise, that, that K was in still in a 353. So like I was still humming even at the back end of the marathon. And I think I think that's where I probably put in the most time. If you looked at my gap between the rest of the field, I would say that it was coming back along the Queen K because I didn't I did it all at just under four minute Ks. So, so that section between sort of twenty five k and thirty five k, when people traditionally start to fade, you were you were even stronger than you had been at the start of the marathon. At that yeah, point. I wouldn't say stronger, but I was, but I was, I was holding on, like because my slowest k's of fruit were running up out of the energy lab and going up to the energy lab. I think I had like you know a four or five and a four ten because because that's actually slightly gradually uphill. Yeah, um, yeah, and also I think I think there was a headwind on the way back. I remember, and in Kona, headwinds headwinds are better because you you your your cooling is better. So it's actually harder when you're running with a tailwind because you get so much hotter. Mm. So metabolic cost is really high. So like people can get see that's where people can get a little bit mixed up in Kona is that they'll where you've got a tailwind, you'll overheat quite a lot, and then you think you think that's it. But as soon as you make the turn and you get a headwind again, you can feel a lot cooler. So right, okay, that's interesting um, because. As, as you're running along, is your perception I've, – I've been to Kona and not raced and been out in the heat, and and it's hard to describe to someone who's not been there mm, yeah. just yeah. how – I mean, I use the phrase like toxic because the heat and the humidity, especially if you're not used to it and you first get off the plane mm. at the outdoor airport. Especially if you're from Yorkshire. Right, exactly. If you if you're from somewhere where it isn't ever hot and humid like this, you get off and you just think it's just too hot here to survive as a human being, let alone consider running a marathon. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's interesting to hear you say and, and for people to have in mind that they can come back from feeling too hot and overheating. The change mm. in direction and the headwind can actually slow them down. Yeah, or can actually yeah. cool them down. Yeah. Well, well, there's two things that cause the main two things that cause your how hot you're getting is. One is how quickly you're dissipating the heat, so how quickly you get rid of it, which is your sweat rate and convection cooling, and that is that is hindered when you have a tailwind, and it's mm. it, and the problem with the humidity, right? That's also hindered in the humidity. But as soon as you get the tailwind, and you get the breeze on your skin, your skin temperature goes down, and your convection cooling picks up, and then you automatically feel a bit cooler. So you can, 
like I could um like I I've I've done some training in Kona and headwind versus tailwind it can be worth ten beats in heart rate for the same speed with a headwind. And how crazy is that you turn you turn around you have a tailwind you're running along, you have a tailwind, your heart might be 160, turn around, same speed, headwind, 150. So, wow. um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's as important as that. So whereabouts in the race were you on the run when, when you got to the point where you realised you were running down that, that pack of seven or eight that were in front of you out the run? Where were you when you, you um, kind of realised you were getting to the front of the race? So, so there's um, there was one guy, um, one age group uh, who, I, who I knew of before, who was also in my age group. He was, it was called Lars Stormo, and he's a Norwegian dude, and he's really really nice fellow, and we had a good chat at the award ceremony, and we even had a bit of a chat during the race. Um, and I knew that he was a pretty strong runner, and he was, he was second overall in the age group in 2017, um, but he got a puncher, and he would, have, he would have won if he hadn't had the puncher, I'm sure. Um, so I kind of knew, and he ran a three-hour marathon. I knew, I knew how good he was, um, and and I caught, him, and he was definitely running the strongest. But he he died a bit at the back end of the marathon. But I caught him just coming back past Lava Java on the way back. Um, so went went out to the turn. Don't forget, it's a little bit shorter along the Lee he drive this year because you had more along the Queen K. Okay. Um, and I caught him there, but um, but there was another. There was a Danish guy who was even further up the road, and but. And I saw him cross over and uh, the Alihi drive turn. Um, and I had kind of looked at everyone. And to me, at that point, Lars looked the strongest. So, but the others didn't look like they were running that well. But he took he took a bit of catching. And I, I ended up catching him along the Queen K um, just at the – basically, as you start to climb up towards the energy lab. So that would be with about maybe just under 20K, I would say, 20K-ish. Okay. Um, yeah. And then, but I don't think he even saw me overtake him because he had his head in the bucket, cooling his head down. <laughs> <laughs> so the classic Dave Scott pass on the other side of the, on the other side of the, yeah, uh, yeah. the truck. Yeah, he probably had his head because I was running up behind him, and he died into the, um, you know, you see the like the A station, and he like jumps, and then he just vanished, and I'm like, oh, and he's like in there trying to grab what he can, and I just ran, yeah, right around the back of him, and. Um, that was it. <laughs> so you then had a you had a twenty k stretch pretty much on the way home, knowing that you're leading the age group race at Kona, presumably yeah. catching and passing lots of the pro women field at that point as well. Yeah. So the only pro I didn't catch was I didn't catch fourth. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I caught Melinda Carfrey um, on the on the hill, just going up to Palani. So yeah, that's gonna feel that. that's gonna feel pretty special, right? Yeah, well, she's not a bad runner, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I think I gave her the fright of her life as well because um, because she's obviously not expecting someone to catch her, and I think she thought it was a pro female going. Uh, lots of the pro females, the response is quite funny because as soon as they feel someone behind them, they go, "Whoa!" Yeah. <laughs> but then they realise I'm a guy in the age group race, and they don't care as much. But the thing <laughs> is, uh, another pro female, and get a bit. Yeah, there's that. Every, every one of them has that moment of like, "Oh no." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing so i wanted to sort of I've, I've heard you interviewed a couple of times on different podcasts post-race and I, a lot of those were, were very very soon after the race and i was wondering has has it really sort of sunk in yet to you the magnitude of what you've done because oh, i don't think i don't think so i mean it's quite i mean it's a funny thing because when it's yourself it's hard for, like other people tell you how big it is but it's hard to appreciate it when it's your own when it's yourself doing it like you know and and i for me i was never doing it to 
win the age group or break the record or anything. All I wanted to do is I had a set of numbers in my head that I thought I was achievable. I could do in Kona. So my original thinking, I could do a 55 minute swim, 440 bike, 255 marathon. That's what I thought. That's what I wanted to go. That's what I thought. That would be a really good day if I could do that. That's a great day. Yeah. And that's all I wanted to do really. So, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think it has really sunk in. Like it's just, a, it's been a, quite a hard transition from, from having such a goal, something so focused on to it not being there anymore. Like, I mean, kind of, kind of like that. A bit because we went to Kona after and we had a holiday and then we then the coming back to New Zealand and coming back into work and back to normality was like oh god <laughs> you know, yeah it's kind of like you know I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it was depressing but you know it was definitely a bit of the blues for a week mm. or so until I kind of got back into reality so well yeah. do you know it'd be interesting to dig into this a little bit because here we've got the person who's broken the the course record at Kona. And you're experiencing exactly the same emotions as any age grouper who's done the first Ironman. You've, you've mm. built up to this massive thing that you've aimed for. You've arguably, I mean, I might be putting words in your mouth here, but you've had your, your, your perfect day with, with the exception yeah. of the guy getting your shoes wrong, which is a bit heartbreaking because yeah. <laughs> you could have had another minute off that time, couldn't you? Yeah, um, no, well, if, if, if it gets beaten by by less than a minute, I'm going to be even more annoyed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, though, you've got to think that that time is going to stick around potentially for decades, unless unless yeah. weather conditions have shifted and Kona now becomes a race like that every year, which is really unlikely. Yeah. If it goes back to another 15 years of screaming headwinds and and the way things yeah, are traditional. Yeah, well, I hope so. And even, and even then, I think... Um, you know, even if there, if there is a favourable day on the bike, I think you still have to run a. I think that was an age group cor- run course record. Yeah. So I think you, you know, you still got to run a pretty quick marathon, even even if you do have a great day on the bike. So I mean, I think the way someone might do it is they might swim a bit quicker, like you know, in the fifties and bike the same, and then run a bit slower. That that could happen, but who knows? I, I hope it does stay around for a, a while. So. Well, I, I wanted to, to get your reaction to this because I don't know whether you've you've seen this or not. You probably haven't because you come across as being so humble. But I went and had to dig into the previous the previous wins at Kona. So your time would have beaten. And for me, this is interesting because this is where I came in the sport. The year that Tim DeBoom won in 2002. So you'd have won the overall race in 2002. You'd, oh, beaten, nice. you'd have beaten Norman Stadler in 2004 the year that he won and had his breakthrough. So you'd have beaten him overall. So this is, <laughs> this is the overall win. You'd have beaten Dave Scott on all of his six wins <laughs> on any of the races. He had. So I, I think it was worth saying this because I was thinking like, how fast is this race to put it in context? 824 is, is mind blowingly fast. And I yeah. think still to this day, anyone who's running 250 or below as, as a pro run, you look at it and go, that is a staggeringly fast run because there are still pros who like the Uber bikers who swim well are still talking in interviews about if I can put a two fifty five marathon together, I can win this thing. And you're running yeah. five minutes faster than that. So talk to us a little bit more about, we've got to dig into the run a little bit more because all, all things, the overall thing aside to do this performance and then have a two fifty marathon at the end of it. I think it's just mind blowing. So, what was it that you did? What was the what was the one secret to running a two fifty? Yeah, the one secret to yeah. running. Yeah, give us a hack. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, well, I think the main secret is uh, is be a good biker. Like, right. I, 
Yeah, I think that's that's probably a little bit overlooked. Is no, I am, I am. Now that's absolutely it, isn't it? Like yeah, that, that's a real key. Strong. You get really strong on the bike, and then you're really yeah. sensible on race day. Yeah, and two sixty watts for me was not that hard. Like it was hard, but it wasn't super hard. I was fresh at the end. You know, I still had a bit of gas in me. Yeah, and I think that's the if you want to run a good marathon. It's that's how you get. That's how you run a good marathon. Is you have to get onto there in a good state, and you know, and there's loads of things. Is you know how you're how you use what fuels you're using, what you're eating during, and and how you get onto how you present to the marathon is is absolutely critical to the way you're going to run the marathon. And then obviously you've got all the training and the pacing that leads into that. So um, it's the and it's also like it's not about it's not about speed. It's about it's about strength. I would say, you know, the running a good marathon thing is about. And I hate to use the word strength because it doesn't really make. It's not really very. It's not a very good adjective to try and describe what I mean. But it's about you know you you being having just being a little bit stronger and not necessarily super fast because I'm not super fast. Like there's there's plenty of guys who I would have outran who can run w- way faster than me. Like. So, for example, I would do eight one Ks, and the best I would I did them just before Kona, and I ran them all in three oh nine, which is quick, but it's not like under three minute quick, right? Which a lot of I can assure you that there'll be some guys who are behind me who would easily be running sub three minute Ks for eight one Ks, but I'm but I do I am good at like the tempo stuff and hill running and and stuff like that, and that's where I think comes into into difference, and and also. I do run a lot of hills, and I think that makes a big difference. I ran a lot, ran a lot of hills growing up. Still yeah. run a lot of hills now, um, and that's because um, it just means you have strong legs. And in the end of the day, Ironman is a strength. It's a strength thing, a strength endurance sport. So um, that's where I think the difference comes in. Well, being a Yorkshire lad, I'm sure you had no shortage of of, of hilly runs and cross country oh. runs and all that growing yeah. up. So that becomes your staple, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and where I lived in Halifax, that's the centre of the Pennines, right? It's like super hilly, like really hilly. There's nowhere um, flat to a, train around there. There's nowhere flat. No, there's, there's, there's no flat at all. We lived, we lived on a one in four hill, um, and it was actually the National Hill Climb Championships for cycling on a few occasions because it's that that steep, yeah, um, and that hilly. Um, so, yeah, so maybe there's there's a, there's a bit of that because. Like if, you, if anyone listens to my interview on Swim Smooth, like Paul, he's known me for a long time, and he's like baffled because he goes, he goes, I don't get it because you were never that faster running. But I am, I seem to be more suited to the marathon distance in an Ironman, and and also I'm, I don't slow down when I run off the bike. It's pretty much the same as all. I reckon if you told me to run a fresh marathon, I might give you five more minutes. That's really interesting in itself. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I don't know that, but I would guess that I wouldn't be that much quicker because, and I do do a lot of running off the bike a lot of running off the bike yeah and they're not just like go for a run like three three k's four two k's like 15k in the 15k hilly hilly tempo run so like um where i live in new zealand now i live on the north shore of auckland but it's in the the north shore is really hilly yeah it's not you can i can i run down to the coast and then it's basically it's like up, up and down all the way along the coast um so Right, okay, well, yeah, well, I wanted to get into your training as well, um, because obviously that's it's something that people are really, really interested in is is how the the top age group in the world prepares, and then 
the thing that's secondly interesting is to try to draw some threads out for people who are your standard age group or your first timer, because obviously there'll be some things that absolutely won't apply, but there'll be some things that really do apply. And I think the thing we really can apply to people is to say the Ironman marathon isn't about being fast. It's exactly what you've just said. It's not about your run speed on race day. It's about how well you can keep going when you're really, really tired off a really well-paced bike. And that really well-paced bike is the absolute key to it, isn't it? Because it sounds like there were there were quite a few guys around you coming out of transition. And as you said, there were there were people riding up the road who rode faster than you on the first half and then blew up. Yeah, who, yeah, yeah. Who cool. have kind of beaten I mean, themselves on this day. Going up the Polani Hill, oh, I mean, I was I remember looking down at my speedo when I was at like 330, 340 watts and people were just burning matches. They're coming past me like I was stood still and I think it's like, how many, crazy. To go back to that bit, how many people were around you getting out of the water? Because swimming like a mid-54, you look at no. it, that's a second-pack pro split kind of thing. And, and my imagination yeah. was, wow, Dan's possibly been out on his own all day here. But what was no. your experience like of coming out of the water? Loads. I don't even know how many, but it felt like there was the whole the whole of the race was there to me. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it felt like there was loads of people. Um, yeah, so that was... Um, yeah, it definitely didn't feel like I was on my own, that's for sure. So, yeah. <laughs> um, now, on your website, we'll give you a plug here, the website, um, Plus and Prof, which is super interesting. You've got loads of really great blog posts, and I think people could dig in there and, and lose half a day. But yeah, the, yeah. Real, the real standout quote for me um, from one of the blogs you wrote after Kona was, I don't believe in the word sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. So, explain to the listeners what you mean by that in terms of in terms of your training theory. Well, I think like sacrifice it means that you're it means that you're doing something that you don't want to do. To me, and I just don't think that's the right word that you can use because in the end of the day, it's a choice. You know, you're not you're not sacrificing anything. You're choosing to do something. So, for me to it's my choice to get up early and train, right? And it's my choice to, like, so, like, we, we had a one-year-old, for example, and so now I'm really spending a lot of time over her and I'm getting up in the morning and I'm doing, you know, like, I'm giving back, to, trying to give back to my wife and her. But, so you could say it was my, I had a, it was my sacrifice that I chose to go on my bike for four hours and not be with Bella in the, in the weekends, right? But that's not true. It was my choice that I did that because that's the goal I was, well, it's not my choice, but we had a, me and Kate had the choice together that that's what we were going to do, and she was happy with me doing that for, to in pursuit of that goal. So that's that's kind of where like sacrifice I feel is a very selfish term almost because it's like you're trying to put yourself off the hook when it's you you know it's like well nothing's a sacrifice because it's you don't have to do it. <laughs> right, you well know? that totally talks to your mindset, doesn't it? The fact that that there are people who say, well, you know, I, I really should have gone out and done a long ride, but I couldn't make it happen today because of X, Y, and Z. It's almost as though that they feel as though they'd rather be doing something else and they have to force themselves to go do that long ride. I love your attitude of this is no sacrifice because it's what I'm choosing to do. And I know what I need to do in order to be, in order to be the best I can be and get this goal I've set myself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and like far out, we mean, with, I mean, as someone, I'm work, as someone who's working and trying to do it all, I'm, I'm so fortunate and thankful to be, even be, 
be out doing those things, right? Yeah. You know, when I'm yeah. when I'm not working and I'm out on my bike on a weekend, like you know, you if you're not enjoying it, like you don't have to do it. So if you're not if you stop, you know, I always think like the, the people people lose the way with sport when they forget why they first did it. You know, and um, and I have a lot of I was you know I was good I was a good junior in youth growing up, and I think I I took a step back at, at the right time to maintain my passion, and I had a lot of friends who kept on going and kept on going and now they don't do anything anymore they no 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 cycling no swimming no running certainly no ironman because they just just become because you see it so much as it is a sacrifice and you're not getting what you want and then it becomes a burden and i think that's a bad headspace to be in mm, yeah there's something else that you wrote that and, and i didn't write this quote down and i wish i had done now but you talked about being selfish and, and, yeah. and the different ways of looking at being selfish in terms of training for Ironman or 70.3. Could you expand a little bit about on, on what you said about that? Yeah. Um, I think, it, I, th- I mean, in my, my eyes, I think it's important to, to recognize that as when you're training a lot and you're trying to, trying to do a goal, you're trying to commit to a goal. It's quite an, it is a, it is a very egotistical ego oriented thing because at the end of the day, it's, it's all about you. It's very little about anyone else but yourself, right? Okay. So, so, and I think that's absolutely fine, and that's totally fine. Everyone has to have the goals, but I think it's important that as athletes we recognize that that is the case. And and if you're one of these who thinks if, – if you are doing that and you're pursuing a goal time and time again and you think it's normal and you, you think it's okay and you do it year in, year out without any giving back, then I think – I think that's where the problem is because, of course, everyone has everyone has their own selfish traits, and everyone should, and everyone sh- everyone should have their own goals. Everyone should achieve a goal. It's so, such an important part of life to do those things. Um, but it's it, some some audacious, audacious goals like the goals that I had um, are not something that you can do forever and ever and ever, right? Especially when I'm not a full. I mean, if I was a pro athlete, it'd be a totally different story because then. That's not that's not the, the way that's not as selfish, right? Or it's not selfish really because you're doing it as a job to provide a roof over your family's head or whatever. But that wasn't the case with me. I was just doing it because that's what I wanted to do. So it's a, a little bit different. Yeah, I love the way that you phrased it on your blog where you said, "Look, you have to recognise that essentially this is selfish." But then, if you can bring your family and your team and around you, and you all can agree together that this is what the whole goal of, of our family unit is for a while. That makes, that makes a very specific understanding, doesn't it? That you're going to do X yeah. for a, a given period of time and everyone's on, on board with you. I love the way that you and your wife and your daughter have approached that and, and had this kind of team yeah, I'm not, approach. I'm not sure how much, how much Bella had a choice. She, was doing all <laughs> <life>. <laughs> she got a nice trip to Hawaii. So um, her middle, cause you know, um, she was born on race day in 2017 so um yeah so she's kind of she's kind of got a good story <laughs> yeah but yeah it's it's a hundred percent about that because it's a hundred such a team effort right if you don't yeah. I don't know how there's no way I could have achieved what I achieved without the support of my wife Kate there's just no way that that would have like she doesn't realize how much of a huge part she was in that I don't think because it just makes I think that term like you know the sacrifice. Maybe I didn't feel it was a sacrifice because of her, because I felt like she gave me the choice to do it. Like if I knew that I should be at home, she wants me at home, then I'm, then it's almost 
feels a bit more like sacrificial kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So I think it's like a team. And I think a lot, I know a lot, lots of my friends who do Ironman, you know, that when they do decide to commit a goal, they do make a family, family decision to do that. So I yeah. see, you know, if I said I'm going to do Kona again this year, I don't think Kate would, um, would agree to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, where, where do you think you go next from here? You, you touched a little bit about on on the whole, this was such a dream and a goal for such a long time and I've achieved it. Where where do you think you'll go next from here, both in terms of an athlete and a coach? Um, yeah, so as an athlete, I'm I'm definitely going to hang up the Ironman for a, a, a little while. Um, I'm going to still keep fit and active and I plan to do some of the Brecker and the Rockman swim runs. Oh, nice. Uh, in a, with a team, so I'm doing um, Rockman, which is here in New Zealand, um, with Bevan McKinnon from Fitter Fitter Coaching, and then hopefully he's still yet to confirm. I'm really pushing him hard is to do the Brecker Wanaka swim run with Paul Newsom from Swim Smooth. Nice. So, um, uh, Mar- I keep calling it a Marvel team up, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that should so that should be a lot of fun. So that's what I'm going to do in the exercise space and. And um, and on the coaching, like coaching, I'm, I've had a lot of coaching requests since Kona. I'm quite, sure, yeah, quite amazing, really. It's it's amazing. Um, it's been interesting to to kind of get a feel for what other athletes want. Like you know, they're not so interested in the qualifications <laughs> and the experience, more interested in um, your ability as an athlete yourself. Well, it seems that way. I'd, well, I'd love to talk to you about that just for a minute because has has that surprised you as a man from a, a scientific professional background that it's your personal race result that's driven more yeah. people to come to you for rather than, you know, I mean, last time you were on, I read this quote out, Chris McCormack said on air, I think Dan Plews is probably the best Ironman triathlon coach in the world right now. And yeah, yeah. you kind of went, wow. Now, even with that endorsement, it's yeah, your personal yeah. race result that drive people to you as an athlete rather than yeah, your fast I, I coaching experience. Whether, yeah, it's, 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 I was, I was, it baffled me, but I, I also wonder if it's just that it just put me on the map a little bit. Yeah. You know, so people didn't know I was before. So maybe people just saw the result and then looked me up and, and realized. But, um, but like I said, like the coaching isn't, the coaching isn't my main source of income. My, my, my work at university and, and then my work with the Olympic canoe racing program is my main kind of stuff. Um, but what I'm really excited about at the moment is that we're just in the midst of setting up a um, an online education um, platform, which is called um, so it's called Endure IQ. And the idea is that so basically because internet has democratized learning and education, and I'm involved in the tertiary education system, I just think that. Tertiary education is something that's gonna is a, is is not as good as it used to be. It's a dying thing. Things are outdated. They're really expensive, and also there's so much information out on the internet that people like think of an Ironman triathlete who Google's how to do an Ironman, like or what what should I eat? Like there's so many, so much information that is not in succinct manner that people can't learn easily. They can't actually have something at the end of it. So the idea is that we're going to bring these um, online modules together. With my experience as a coach, athlete, um, and scientist, so like coaches, athletes, and anyone interested in triathlon can um, learn about whether it's low carb performance, racing in the heat, training and periodization, um, all those things on an online course that you can just do with videos, um, slides, me talking over, 
Um, yeah, and that's in conjun conjunction with um, a guy called Professor Grant Schofield, who is um, who's a professor in health as well. So yeah, so that's um, that's what I'm really excited about at the moment. So. Yeah, it's almost like with the advent of the internet, the challenge these days isn't access to information, it's access to good information and finding a way yeah. to cut through all yeah. the noise, isn't it? Yeah. As they say, separate the shit from the clay. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to bleep that out now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to have to use the bleeper on the thing. That's a good old Yorkshire <laughs> phrase to, to wrap it up on, isn't it, really, Dan? Anyway. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, great stuff. So listen... One last thing from us. Congratulations. It's it's an absolutely amazing performance. I really believe it's it's going to stand the test of time. And in a couple of decades time, there's every chance that age group record might well still be standing when you take Bella out there to do her first race. Who knows, right? Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, well... Not hopefully, I hope she's racing, but yeah, I hope it stands, <laughs> I hope it stands a while. Yeah. <laughs> All right, brilliant. Thanks very much for your time, man. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. That's just... A mind-blowing achievement, isn't it? To go so fast as an age grouper. Oh, he—he's a—he's an amazing. He is an amazing athlete, Rob. Yeah, really, really amazing. And uh, yeah, fascinating guy. Fascinating insights into the the training uh, and all the coaching and everything else that he does. Yeah, yeah. He's um. It's the thing that I found the most interesting out of all of that. I think was him sort of saying he still gets the post Ironman blues just like everybody else. Even and I suppose it's to be expected, right? After you've done such an amazing performance, but I think everyone suffers from that kind of. I've set myself towards a big goal, then I've achieved the big goal. What on earth do I do next? Kind of thing. Totally. Go back to the episode that we had out just before Christmas with uh, Simon Marshall and Leslie Patterson, and um, they had a, a few tips about the post Ironman Blues or the post big event Blues, and and they did say that if you're more of a bucket list sort of racer, then that feeling is going to be a lot stronger. So it's a bit like you know when you go on holiday and then you come back and you're just yeah. like oh, <laughs> just book book something straight away. <laughs> yeah. So make sure then you've got other goals or, or if that there is something that you've always wanted to do you know i don't know let's say you want to learn to salsa dance go and do it it's a great time here to book yourself out a week in the sun isn't it i bet there's loads of people booking a week's training in lanzarote or fuerti right now <laughs> i keep on seeing all these bloody adverts rob on tv about holidays here and holidays yeah. there and i'm thinking yeah i want a bit of that yeah, <laughs> i want some absolutely. sunshine <laughs> yeah, have you got anything booked I have. I've just booked to go to Fuerte. There you go. <laughs> you got to do it. Got to get out of the winter. When are you going? Um, end of mid-March, I think. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it's going to be good. Love it. Love it. Nice. It. I'm looking out the window. The wind's howling. The rain's beating against <laughs> the raining. windows. I want to go now. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh right well we should wrap the show up then everybody listen if you're if you're listening right now and it's january get yourself get yourself something exciting booked and get yourself a new trainers and get out for a run right now because it's it's getting stuff done is going to get us all through january that's for sure totally totally and as and as rob has said over the past few years we just have to get to valentine's day i just remember these words get to valentine's day the days will get lighter and yeah. um next week rob i'm going to fill you in on um on what i might have entered for this year and um also Stuff that's going to be coming up, not necessarily next week, but over the next few weeks, um, we're going to have a special episode all about the menopause. Good stuff. 
All right, everybody, thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Auction Addict Triathlon Podcast. I'm Coach Rob Wilby. I'm Helen Murray. And until next week, have a great, safe training and racing week, and we'll speak to you all again soon. Cheers, everybody. See ya. See ya.